In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will hold a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by Abvi, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at LLS.org slash Big Climb. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 98. It is May 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We continue our trip through each team's depth chart on this episode. We're going to focus on the AL Central. Eno, how's it going for you coming out of the extended weekend? It was a good break. I ate a lot. I drank a lot of hazy IPAs, and I enjoyed the good weather. Did some yoga with the kids. We uh, did a run where I ran and they biked. Um, it was one of the slowest miles I've ever run. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we did our best to kind of get out of the house a little bit. And um, I think we had some fun. Fresh air is uh, good. I got a good run in on... What day was that? Sunday. Sunday mm. morning. And it was... Uh, a year, I'm going to say a, a 2020 personal record for a 5K. I don't know if it's an all-time record because I don't keep very detailed year-over-year <laughs> times, but uh, it was faster than like the last dozen or so runs that I've gone on. So I'm, I'm making some sort of progress, and uh, you know, it's just nice to be able to run outside and not have to run on the treadmill at this point since the switch has flipped. We went from wintry spring garbage to actual like 85 degree humid but, days. But yeah, like can we have like a like a like can we could pour one out for the idea of spring? The concept of spring. <laughs> like, like it was 97 degrees in Palo Alto yesterday. Seems a little hot for um the end of May. Like what the hell? We went yeah, we we I can't complain too hard. We have pretty good weather here all the time, and we probably had something that you'd call a spring, but uh, that's really warm for this time of year, for sure. And uh, I think generally, that's something I noticed when I lived in New York was, you know, especially when spring training, you're like, oh, March, like sweet spring training, grass. And then you look outside and you're like, God, it's cold out there and wet and gross. And then uh, you might have a little bit of April, and then May it's already getting hot. So, you know that was uh, that was. I would think that's something that's sort of happening around the world. Yeah, it's uh, not pleasant, and the fictional concept, now fictional concept of spring, is one that I, I really do cherish. Uh, <laughs> but it'll be good. It's just nice to be outside a lot more yeah. at this point. Uh, let's begin our tour of the AL Central. Let's start with the Minnesota Twins. I think they are one of the most fascinating teams in the league. And, of course, last year they had 
uh, some major steps forward, really in all facets. The offense reached some levels that we hadn't really seen from the Twins in a long time. The pitching was great as well. And I was looking at the 2019 league-wide barrel rate leaderboard. Four Twins last season were in the top 10. That, of course, is the barrels per plate appearance leaderboard. Uh, Nelson Cruz, Miguel Sano, CJ Crone, who's now a Tiger, we'll talk about him later, and Mitch Garver, all inside that top 10. And Garver was a guy that took a pretty big step last season. He had a 3.9% barrel rate per plate appearance in 2018, so a jump to 9.7, more than doubled what he was doing with the barrel rate. I just wonder how sustainable that improvement is, and he's going to play a lot more, of course, without Jason Castro on this roster, but... Anytime you give a player a lot more playing time, it becomes a question of just how much they could give back skills wise with that increased role. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually that worried. I mean, yes, uh, the bad, you know, barrels per batted ball event. That's the, the, the gold standard when it comes to looking at, at at power. Uh, And it has, it's very sticky from year to year. So what do you do in the face of someone who's made a really big, you know, step forward in barrels per batted ball event. Now you've got a guy who is internally inconsistent. He had a 5% barrel rate uh, in 2018 and a 15 and a percent barrel rate last year. That's just, you know, you, you feel like he's going to regress some. But what the reason that I like Mitch Garver is that, you know, he made other... Th- he made other strides that kind of point out the strength in his game. So it's not just the power. Um, it's the fact that he's really disciplined. And he went from a 39% swing rate in his first two seasons to 35% last year. He only reached at 18% of the pitches he saw outside of the uh, zone. And the league average um, is around 30. So he's a league leader in that regard. So what I think is going to happen is he's going to still have the 340 uh, on base percentage. Um, he's still going to be a valuable batter. Uh, there's He's still going to bat a lot, so that's going to help his runs and RBI totals. Um, and if he is more of a true talent, uh, 20 to 25 homer hitter guy or more of a, you know, last year 31 in, in 359 plate appearances, um, I, I, I think there'll be some regression in the power department. We just don't see, uh, those kinds of, of huge leaps without a little bit of regression. Yeah. I have to think that teams are going to pitch him a little bit differently. He hit 25 of his 31 home runs last year off fastballs. He hit 341 and slugged 838 against fastballs in 2019, under 200 average against breaking balls and off-speed pitches. Uh, under 400 slug on breaking, you know, under 300 slug on off speed. It's a little bit like what we saw from Jose Ramirez. This was the uh, the Clay Link tweet that shook the world uh, in the 2019 draft season. That Ramirez did so much of his damage against fastballs that he had some some flaws that needed to be corrected. And I don't think that single handedly explains what happened to Jose Ramirez. You know, first half of last season versus second half of last season. But it is a pretty drastic split to see that much production coming on one pitch type and you know pretty yeah clear struggles against breaking and off speed and and you just described the situation in which he could still be the same quality of batter and yet face regression because of you know the the other the pitchers and their strategy towards him uh i'd figure he'd see a lot more breaking balls in the zone for strikes uh for example um, yeah, 
but he, uh, he can adjust to that a little bit too. It's not like he's locked in just being a below average breaking ball hitter forever. Right, right, right. No, and I don't. But it, but it wouldn't be as good as maybe feasting on on fastballs. But uh, but generally, he's a good hitter. I mean, if you look at it, his swing strike rate's really low. His uh, reach rate is really low. He might, you know be so passive that he passives his way into some extra strikeouts, but overall it's been great for him. Um, and I definitely think he's, uh, one like top three catcher in the league. Am I crazy? No, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, JT real Mudo is kind of in a tier of zone. Gary Sanchez probably has a slight leg up over Grandal, but I, I don't know. Grandal. Okay. So not top three. So he's there with Contreras at like four and five. Yeah, and ADP has him at five. It has him ahead of Sal Perez, ahead of Will Smith, ahead of Wilson Ramos. I mean, that that kind of that all checks out. I think so. Yeah. Like for example, he's not as like risky as Will Smith, in that Will Smith has the really large uh, fly ball rate um, and doesn't really have the same underlying uh, statistics when it comes to uh, his walk rate. His his um, his approach at the at the plate. I mean, yes, he's got a decent approach at the plate, but he also doesn't have an eight percent uh, swing strike rate. Um, so you know, Smith is a little bit more boomer bust this year uh, when it comes to uh, what his batting average is going to look like in particular. I've made this point before. I'll make it again very quickly this time. You know, Byron Buxton, who of course is coming back from major shoulder surgery. Apparently, it was going to be ready for opening day back in March. That was definitely not clear you know, two weeks out from it. Uh, so he should be you know, ready to go as things start to pick up again. Big jump in exit velocity last season. Brought the K rate down a bit. Had a lot of injuries. It's been just part of, of what he's been as a player. Uh, but at the price again this year, I'm, I'm still in on Buxton. I think there's still uh, quite a bit to like as it goes with, with that profile. The pitching side, though, is also really interesting. You get past even the top four, Barrios, Maeda, Odorizzi, Rich Hill. I think we've talked about those guys at various points uh, throughout the the winter, throughout the last few months. But who in this organization, when you go deeper than that top four, is most likely to exceed expectations and kind of emerge as a a fantasy value as the fifth starter or as an injury replacement if uh, one of those top four guys goes down with an injury at some point? You know, there's a, a reason to believe that Randy Dobnak is is not uh, a long-term starter, but he might be perfect for this season. Um, you know, he has some platoon splits and might have a hard time getting through, line up the third time through the order with that funky arm slot and the uh, the kind of sidearm problems, platoon problems that, that usually that comes with it, um, I think are, are going to come for him. However... You know, if you are if you're pitching guys four innings and you need a two inning guy in the middle, it's going to be Randy Dobnak. I think that that fits his uh, you know skill set perfectly. In terms of a guy stepping in uh, and doing better than we thought, it's a boring answer, but I actually think it's Julio Chassin. You know, I think that uh, you know last year was a, a bad year for him, but he could step in. You know, the four years before that, uh, he was useful. Uh, he's got uh, slider command. Uh, he's got a great slider, and um, you know between his fastball and slider, he can get through like three or four innings. So I think there might actually be some sort of uh, 
you know, uh, Shasin Dobnak at the back end of the rotation to begin the season, uh, where one of them uh, slides into a kind of glue guy role um, once uh, Hill, if, if Hill doesn't start the season with them, uh, once Hill is healthy. I do think Hill will be good to go, though, just based on the initial timetable. We'll see if that happens once things uh, do pick up again. Homer Bailey is the other guy that I'm kind of intrigued by because he was changing some things up last year between his time with the Royals uh, and with the A's. You know, 149 Ks and 163 innings. It was the first time since 2014 that he finished a season with an ERA below five. Um, so, you know, the bar was extremely low, but as we've said time and time again, the Twins are one of those organizations that have a good plan for pitching right now. So, uh, definitely willing to look at Bailey in some deeper formats, 15 plus mixed leagues, uh, maybe as a two start guy, of course, in leagues more shallow than that. And we'll see if he sticks beyond that. Looking at the bullpen, if Taylor Rogers were to falter, and I don't have a, a compelling argument against him at all, I think Tyler Duffy is a guy that has caught my eye uh, as someone who was a bit more nasty than I realized last year, 34.5% K rate. Had that fastball-slider combo working really well. Home run rate was a tick on the high side, but that was the case for a lot of relievers last year. Uh, So I don't know if it's necessarily a lock. Like if Rodgers were to share the job with somebody or if he were to get hurt, I'm not sure it's a lock that Sergio Romo or someone who's done the job before would be the guy. I think Duffy might be a bit of a, a deep sleeper for some saves if the situation arises. I've seen some bullpen charts where Rodgers was listed as being likely to lose his job. Um, And I think I know where it comes from. I think I can understand it a little bit because, you know, Rodgers used to be around a 93 guy. And then last year he pumped up to 95 on the fastball. And you can see literally what velocity does for a person when he was striking out, you know, 24 uh, you know, 28% of his batters and then jumped to 32% um, in 2019. So, you know, the, the strikeout rate goes up, uh, you know, and he looks more like a closer at 95. But what if he drops to 94.1 last, you know, next year? That'd still be above where he was in 2018, but it would be significantly below where he was last year. He's 29 years old, uh, reliever velocity ages poorly. Um, and, um, reliever velocity loss is tied to more production loss in relievers. So that's part of the volatility of year to year in relievers. And I think if he had, you know, a nine K nine next year, uh, and a two and a half BB nine, uh, gave up a few more homers, all of a sudden his ERA is in the mid threes. Um, and maybe as you say, uh, Duffy, uh, slides in there uh, ahead of him. Um, on the other hand, uh, Tyler Duffy himself is 29 years old and just had uh, you know a velocity increase and a strikeout rate increase, so he could <laughs> fall back. Um, but you know, just the fact that they traded away Bruce Dar Graterall to me says that um, they think that they have what they need in the bullpen and uh, with Taylor Rogers in particular. So that's uh, that's some degree of of, uh, uh, of a vote of confidence, isn't it? Trading away the guy who throws you know, a million miles an hour and everyone said could be the closer of the future. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think Taylor Rogers is legit, but it's one of those bullpens that I wasn't thinking a lot about who would actually get saves if something happened to him until we had extra time to invest in, in that exercise. 
Well, if there are there are there any fifty uh, uh, man roster uh, winners in this situation? Um, trying to look across uh, and see if there's anybody exciting uh, that could maybe Williams Williams a studio that probably makes a thirty man roster. I've seen some thirty man um, uh, projections already, some fifty man projections already, and um, I've seen third catchers, which is interesting for two catcher AL leagues. There might be a bunch of of catchers and they might all be unplayable. <laughs> right, just chopping up the playing time even smaller. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I figure like Smelter or Thorpe, they're at least on the 50-man. They're probably on the 30-man, actually, um, as glue guys. But, you know, both of them have just really low velocity. I like Thorpe's uh, collection of pitches some, so there's there's some some ability there to maybe uh, pitch past his, his thing. But I... Uh, in terms of uh, of rookies prospects that uh, that might see some time this year, uh, I don't think Larnock or any of those guys are ready. Kirilov maybe. They're I mean they're tricky though because both Kirilov and Larnock played at Double A last season. Kirilov had more time there, but they're right on that bubble. And I think the Twins being a team that has playoff aspirations this year are in a tricky spot where it's. Like they want to make sure those guys are getting reps. I think they could make the fifty man. I think Royce Lewis is kind of in that that same sort of boat. Yeah, team. you know what? They'll so make the fifty a. man because they want to have some upside and they want to keep these guys developing. So I think Larnock and Kirilov might both make the fifty man, and then you're just late waiting for an injury, right? You're just waiting. I don't think anyone's going. Either two is going to make the thirty man because. You have Marwin Gonzalez playing everywhere. You have Lisa Luis Arias playing everywhere. Um, maybe they, maybe which one would you say makes it? Larnock had a better season by WRC plus and a little bit more uh, defensive versatility. So maybe Larnock makes this roster because when I look at the outfielders, I just see Marwin Gonzalez, Jake Cave. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a great depth. Uh, and and Buxton is like an injury risk, right? Buxton's style and, and history alone make you think twice, you know, about making sure you've got a, a center fielder available that you like. And, and maybe that's Jake Cave defensively and, you know, somebody else picks up some slack offensively. Uh, Miguel Sano's injury history yes, is pretty Kirloff bad could too. Play, could play there. Yeah, because if Sano goes down with a bad injury, do you really want to play Marwin Gonzalez every day? Not really. I mean, and the same thing if, if Nelson Cruz were to get hurt, even though he's, he's a DH. I mean, if, if he were to Sano break down. DH and, yeah, so I think the, the chances that Kirilov and Larnock play this year have, have gone through the roof. Yeah, they probably were not on my redraft radar outside of AL-only <sighs> reserve picks. Now they've inched their way now up. they are, dude. Jeez, I thought, they were, I thought they were too far away, but, you know, they're, you know, they're they're gonna make the fifty man if they're on the fifty man that then they're gonna then they're gonna play at some point. Then there is a chance. Yeah, it's all you need. Let's move on to Cleveland, and uh, we've had a discussion in the not so distant past about Aaron Savale and Zach Plezak. So no need to rehash that. I think you're on the Savale side of that one. I'm on the Plezak side. But more interesting to me in in the Cleveland pitching situation right now is Carlos Carrasco. And I took a step back for a second. I mean, 2019, he was sidelined for leukemia. You know, He beat that, which 
you look at what happened to him last year, it's hard to evaluate anything that was going on on the field given the nature of what he was dealing with. The injury history beyond that is a bit concerning. In 2015, he had some shoulder inflammation. He had strained hamstrings in 2016. He had an elbow contusion in 2018. So add that to the elbow inflammation he was dealing with when things were happening earlier this spring. I understand where some concern comes from. Like It's it's easy to see it. But look at the five-year window from 2014 to 2018. During that time, he was 12th among all pitchers, minimum 300 innings pitched, in K minus BB percentage, 22.3%. 327 ERA, 109 whip over those five years. That's basically Steven Strasburg in terms of ratios uh, and in terms of strikeout rate from 14 to 18. The May ADP, only seven drafts, 152 overall. I think at that price especially, I'm buying for a Carlos Carrasco bounce back. I feel like I've been a little higher on him than most throughout this draft season, but... Looking at that body of work, I'm convinced that he can get back to something very close to that level. Yeah, and and I I bought a couple shares of him because he fell into that, you know, sort of 25 to 30 range, and I thought he could be better than that, especially when it comes to per innings pitched, um, you know, work. I, I can't speak for his volume because he's only hit you know 190 plus twice in his career um and he's he's had those injuries you mentioned but uh in this situation i wouldn't necessarily uh push it to draft him and um and i don't mean to be crass or whatever but like you know this is what we do is like he's at risk he may like i think i've heard that he wants to play but he may not play um, I, when I, I reached out to, uh, Dave Cameron, who used to work, uh, he used to be my editor at Fangraphs, and he's now with the Padres at, at the beginning of this thing. And, you know, he admitted that he was at risk because he had had leukemia before. Um, and, uh, so he was, he was staying close to home early on in this thing, um, and trying to, uh, avoid contact with other people. So, uh, that worries me a little bit. I uh, have to be honest and just uh, put that out there as as ugly as it is. Uh, but um, otherwise, yeah, skills-wise, I'm there. I think that uh, he's gonna he's getting close to losing that little bit of velocity that will matter. Um, and, and it may have already happened. He's at 93.5, where he used to be at sort of 95 plus, 94 plus. Um, so I would watch the radar gun and watch his comments about, uh, health and playing. Um, and, uh, I doubt that the one thing is I doubt that, uh, that baseball is going to take that choice away from the player. Uh, so maybe if he's saying he's going to play, then he's going to play. Yeah. It is worth monitoring that situation too. And it's a good point to make that his situation health wise is a lot more, precarious than just the typical player which again everybody is exposing themselves to added risk but he already has elevated risk because of what he had to deal with a year ago uh, Emmanuel Classe was suspended of course uh, a few weeks back and I know you're a Brad Hand skeptic at this point I think that's probably fair to say is James Karinchak the deep league stash that you want or is it somebody else in that bullpen that you're turning to at this point it is weird that Karinchak got demoted um and we talked about how that might just be to keep some 
NRIs on the roster. They, I think they loaded up with some uh, veteran NRIs to uh, play at some of their uh, weak depth positions, like their outfield situation is kind of cobbled together, is how I would describe it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, in terms of middle infield backups or infield backups in general, uh, they've got Christian Arroyo and Chang. Um, and I don't think either of those guys is, is ready, um, uh, or is good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it's just that they're not ready. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, I think that current will be back up soon. Uh, hand will keep the job for a little bit and then it'll, it'll devolve into some sort of, uh, platoon group situation with, uh, Odal with, uh, not Odalis Perez. That'd be weird. Uh, Oliver Perez, um, and Brad hand and Kieran sort of, uh, trying to get around the rules and, you know, see, you know, face enough batters and, 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 uh, while their way into some, uh, into some good bullpen results, because this is not what I would just consider a strong bullpen all of a sudden. Uh, I think hand is falling off. Uh, Perez is one of the most weakened by the, uh, new rules when it comes to relievers. Um, Simber is, uh, kind of a one trick pony. Um, and class A is now gone for, I guess the season. Uh, that's a weird thing about getting popped for 80 games is, it used to be half a season, but, um, you know, I like James Hoyt a little bit, but you know, he hasn't, he's got like one good season. No, he has no good seasons under his belt in the majors. Still looking for the first one. Still looking for the first, but he throws 94, uh, and has a cool split finger. And I've always like sort of kept my eye on him. So there's a chance he pops, um, and joins the group. I doubt he becomes the only guy. Uh, but, uh, I don't see with class A gone and current check in the minors. It's not as easy to see the future on this one. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to lean on the belief that for Savali, Plesak and Karinchak, it really was about not sending guys down who didn't have options, waiting to make those decisions and seeing how things would play out. And they're going to bring all three of those pitchers back into the fold and yeah. they're all going to be part of it because of expanded roster. I mean, so. did you say Savali and Plesak went down too? Yeah, that, yeah that's that where I'm, I was just yeah, I was guys convinced. Are, like this was all because of how the rosters had to work. Yeah, those, that's the their fourth that and fifth options. starting pitcher. Like if they, like who's their fourth and fifth starting pitchers right now? If it's not them, you know. So uh, yeah, they're coming back up. Logan Allen, I think, is our glue guy that we like here. Um, I put him in reserves at the at AL Labor because. I think he's going to come in in a lot of fifth innings, uh, in fourth innings, and pitch for two or three innings. Um, he has good slider command, uh, a wide, a wide, uh, wide variety of pitches, and he's totally the kind of pitcher that the Indians seem to make into better than than other teams can, uh, because of that slider command and because of the wide variety of pitches. Like if you think about Plesac, none of his pitches are that good, but he has a lot of them. <laughs> yeah and he has good slider a lot of weapons Sivali, like decent amount of pitches good slider command otherwise not a great pitcher uh but they they turn those guys into fourth and fifth starters pretty easily and then every once in a while they pop and become shane beaver 
I think the other depth guys that I'm kind of interested in here, they don't have elite prospects knocking on the door. Like Their best prospects are a few years away. Uh, but Daniel Johnson is pretty interesting to me. We've 371 OBP at some, AAA right? last year. Yeah, he came up for... Power and speed. Like He has some good stat cast numbers. Yeah, he's, he could just do a little bit of everything, and clearly they have some questions depth-wise in their outfield. Uh, I wonder if, if Tristan McKenzie... Gets on the just fifty man just in case. I mean, they want him to pitch. He hasn't pitched in two years. Yeah, no, one like year. The, he pitched. He didn't pitch in twenty nineteen. Okay, sorry, my head. Is, I'm already starting to mean like we didn't pitch in twenty twenty either. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hold that against them yet since yeah. nobody has. <laughs> yeah, but point. ninety innings in twenty eighteen. I think they'll want him to. I was talking to um, a a farm director about their plans for the fifty man. And we were talking about a player that got drafted and hadn't pitched uh, because he had pitched a lot in the college season. So they thought, hey, we're just going to shut you down uh, and start you up again next year. Um, And they were worried that in this situation, they wouldn't now they'd come and they wouldn't now have pitched for like almost two years, you know. Um, and they were worried about that. So I think the Indians just looking sort of scanning their top prospects and who was at double a before, uh, I think they'll want McKenzie in the major leagues, um, and not in the major leagues, but like on the 50 man roster and playing in a place where they can see him and check his health and monitor him closely, uh, and perhaps get him into major league games because he was an exciting prospect at one point. So yeah, I think McKenzie and Johnson. There's a chance they put Nolan Jones on the 50 man as uh, that sort of 20th man we discussed uh, when it comes to like CJ Abrams, just like a high quality at bat- batter that they don't want to play in the major leagues this year, but they want him to continue uh, his progression. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you on that one as well. The other name that is probably just lost in the shuffle because he doesn't have a place to play initially is Bobby Bradley. There's really nothing left for him to prove uh, in the minors anyway, and since there, you know, probably won't be a minor league season. Can we get him a thirty-man roster? Bat. Okay, so what are the the starters are eight, right? No, nine in the AL. Uh, the starters are nine, um, and we've got uh, you. You got a cap on pitchers at well, it was thirteen, but are they going to cap pitchers at fifteen though? If it's a thirty-man, let's let's assume they do. That's what they've done. So I, would, far. I would figure they would. All right, so we got, at least for part of the season, we got 15 batters, we got nine starters, uh, we got two catchers. All right, so that's 11. Um, Kristen Arroyo has to make it. He's like the only one. And I guess Chang has to make it. It's 12 and 13. Bowers is 14. Um, I guess Kristen Arroyo could make it, not Chang, because we we're already you at could, 14. <laughs> you could get away with one. Uh, Bowers is 14. DeShields is 15. So the last spot is Chang versus Bradley. Hmm. And there's just such a versatility. Yeah. Right. There's such a big difference. I have to think that these Indians would take Chang. Right. So that puts Bradley on the taxi squad. They already have two DHs too with Reyes and Santana. I I'm amazed. They, They have to play one of those guys in the outfield. Yes, they do. Not great. Not great. Not great. Not great at all. Um, speaking of uh, Domingo Santana, 
I'm kind of warming up to him a little bit. Everyone's chasing Franmil Reyes, and his ADP in those limited May drafts has gone way up. He's up to 93 for an ADP with a min pick of 80. Um, I understand the appeal. I mean, he hits the ball really hard. The power is real. The playing time's there. I think Domingo Santana, though, you know, reminds me a little bit of Oakland's Chris Davis in terms of how streaky he can be as a hitter. Mm-hmm. And he was hurt late last year, too. I think it's pretty clear if you look at his, his rolling hard hit rates, his contact percentage in the zone from August on. It was a wrist injury, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. His ADP is 285 in May. The power is real. I don't think anyone doubts that. He actually chips in with a few steals. And the batting average floor seems to be a little bit higher than people realize with Domingo Santana as well. So he's a guy that I didn't really draft at all back in February and March, who I'm probably going to start sneaking onto some rosters at that price in that 275 to 300 range. I think that he's also a good example of why, uh, of how our metrics have improved. You know, early on, we saw uh, the ground ball rate uh, pretty high, uh, the fly ball rate low. And we thought maybe this is a guy who just hits it hard, but hits it on the ground too much. Uh, but as we've you know learned a little bit more, and as the Statcast metrics have come out, you know we can now see that he's always had a double-digit barrel rate, um, you know, in every season. And yes, that's that last year was his peak, but you know, coming off of basically ten to eleven percent barrels to twelve and a half is not nothing happened last year that was that's that is so big that it has to regress he was basically the same guy he was in the past which is a guy who hits the ball hard and actually barrels the ball pretty well um and that and that's why he has a 357 babbit for his career it's not because he hits too many ground balls it's because he hits the ball really hard uh and he actually barrels the ball well so you know the thing that's a little bit weird for me um is just that um that there's such a wide gulf uh, between Reyes and, and Santana in the eyes of many, and that the that like they felt the need to trade for Fran Mil Reyes when they got Domingo Santana for like two million bucks. Um, you know, they both are like league average walk rate, too many strikeouts, liability on the field, uh, type power hitters, um, and I don't. I don't see there being that wide of a gulf uh, between them. I totally, I'm, I'm on board with your analysis on this one, 100. percent Yeah, I, w- I wonder what it is about Franmil Reyes that they see internally that we're not necessarily seeing on the outside that prompted them to. I guess the barrel rate make that move is better. You know, if Domingo Santana's ten, uh, you know, you know, ten to twelve as his possible outcomes for barrel rate, uh, it looks like. Um, uh, Frownmill had a, a 11.6 in his first year and 14.8 last year, which was top 10% of the top 5% of the league. So I guess he's Frownmill is a little bit better than Domingo Santana, like a better version of him and younger, but very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you're talking about an 81 game season, like, like, I don't like, yeah, either one of these guys could uh, pop and the other guy will get hurt and hit 240 uh, and see the DL. Yeah, both capable of being like sneaky team leaders or even like among league leaders in home runs, though, sure. in a shortened season. Yeah. Like that's that's exactly the profile. You wrote about that profile, I think, uh, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Time is still a bit of a mess. Uh, the other little nugget on uh, Domingo Santana, I got to bring it up anytime I see it. Ex-Wobacon, uh, expected Woba on contact, actually pretty good. You see some red ink there. 
both last season and in 2017 on his savant page. So Santana, if you're going to have that. Yeah. For yeah. Domingo, like yeah. if you're going to have a, have, have only a little bit of red ink on your page, that's a good place to have it. Yeah, definitely. Smelling good is important. And thanks to Hawthorne smelling good is easier than ever. It's time to move on from that old bottle of cologne. You know, that bottle that you've had since high school or that one that your ex-girlfriend gave to you. And it's time to start taking care of your hair and your skin. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the products that are best for you, including two colognes, one for work and one for play, along with a full complement of shampoo, conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and lotions that smell great and are free of sulfate, silicone, and aluminum. Plus, all of Hawthorne's products are cruelty-free as well. You can even take the quiz for someone else to find the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co, and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase, hawthorne.co. I've been using their, their, I've been using their, their creams, the, uh, actually like the facial cleanser and the lotions. And one thing I do like about it is the smell is, is pretty decent. It's like, um, you know, it's not, it's not like a in your face kind of smell. It's like kind of a mellow smell. Yeah. I, I think the cool thing too, is like with that quiz, you can mark off some personal preferences, mm-hmm. you know, like if you go out for drinks, what do you like to have? If, uh, you're going to have a, a date night, what are you going to do? And it kind of tailors some of the, the products based on, on pretty unique responses, but I found all the stuff that they've sent smells really good. I've been happy with it as well. Uh, definitely feels good to smell good when you're <laughs> sitting in the same room. Uh, yeah, right. We're all all day. Yeah, we've all been in the same place for a while. Better smell okay. <laughs> yeah, not that I've. I don't think I smelled bad before, but I smell better now with that uh, with that stuff. Uh, you know, all in my arsenal now. Uh, let's move on to the White Sox, and uh, this is a question I think. We maybe touched on way back in the fall, and I was looking at it again today. I was looking at those May ADPs, and I just wondered, can a case be made to buy in on Tim Anderson at his 2020 ADP? 88 is his ADP in those May drafts. It's really high, and of course, I don't think anybody could have seen the batting average that Tim Anderson brought to the table last year coming. There's a lot to like with him skills-wise. There's Things to be concerned about in the plate skills that that's always been part of who he is as a player. But when you start to unpack it, do you ever find something that makes you believe that what we saw last year, or at least a large part of it, is actually real? Yeah, I mean, like if you look at his expected batting average, you could say something like, "Well, uh, he had an expected two ninety four last year." Uh, and so he's going to regress and that's, you know, that was lucky. But if you also look at his expected batting averages due to his, you know, his balls and play, the stat cast stuff, uh, in the past, like in 2018, it was 227 and in 2017, it was 249. Um, and in each of those cases, he outproduced, uh, his expected batting average because of his speed is my guess. Uh, I know that they are including speed in some of these metrics, but, uh, there's uh, like, they're, 
there's including it and then there's nailing it and getting exactly right for every different player. So the fact that this player has, uh, over, has, 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 has reached beyond his expected batting average and has the speed, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give him credit for that. So, um, I do think he's a batting average asset. That's, I think it's something that you could debate. And before this year, you would have said no. Because he went from 283 to 257, 240, you'd say, nope, he strikes out too much. He's not a batting average asset. So I will say, I think he's gotten something out of this, out of you know his growth. And I will say that I think he can hit better than 280 next year uh, and have as many homers as steals. Yeah, I mean, I think the power, as we've seen now over three seasons, is settling in as high teens, even low 20s power. He missed some time with an injury last year, probably would have. Uh, past that 2018 total when he hit 20 home runs. I, I think this is actually a really solid profile, and maybe we get fixated, at least I get fixated too much, on an extremely low walk rate. Like yeah. That's not typically something you see in an elite player, but he does a lot of things very well. There's no question about playing time. And like we've said for everybody on this team, they're getting better as far as the overall quality of the lineup, and that brings up the floor for, for counting stats as well. Yeah, the one thing I would say is 26 years old in the in the dynasty context, I do find these red flags more uh larger red flags. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, in an, any given year, uh we can project him, we can have some certainty on how we project him. We can see that his uh projected batting averages are all around 280. Um, you know, we can we can have some uh, belief in what his his true talent is at any given time. But when you're talking about projecting out three, four years, uh, you have to think that somebody with a 3% walk rate is going to get figured out by hitter, by pitchers. And right now, he's so super athletic, and he's in his peak range, and he's making the most contact he'll ever make. He's making the most contact he ever made, and he struck out 21% of the time last year. So you'll see the bell curve happen with a strikeout rate where, you know, two or three years from now, he's going to be striking out 25 26% of the time, I'm, I'm guessing, again. Um, and that'll be the beginning of a—he'll be a short peak guy. And he'll be a guy that you want to trade away early in dynasty leagues rather than late. It's a pretty um, stark contrast to what you get from the projected starter at second base now for the White Sox. And I mean, Nick Madrigal, who has never struck out 5% at any level in the White Sox system, such a strange player. I mean, people by now know that he's um, small and uh, he doesn't hit the ball very hard, but he puts the ball in play a ton. He actually draws walks. And he runs well, and if he fields his position at an average or better clip, that drives playing time, but the question everybody comes back to is just, is this going to work against big league pitching, and is he going to be mixed league viable in his first season? I definitely have a new school hitting coach in my ear saying uh, this won't work. Uh, They'll knock the bat out of his hands. He just doesn't have the power. Uh, they'll fill up the zone and, um, you know, he'll, he'll just have a lot of weak contact on his bill. Uh, but, and I don't want to make a one person statistical comp or anything. Uh, but the projections look okay, you know, for like a 95 WRC plus might be able to be a league average player by being above average in other facets of the game. Like you, like you mentioned, um, also some chance that he walks more, um, then the projections suggest they're all around sort of five, six percent. 
Uh, but here's a one-person comp that's a little bit interesting, I think. Luis Arias. Mm. Yeah. And it's not that far out because if you just look at what Arias has done in the minor leagues, it's really com- it's really comparable. I mean, I can't really tell the difference, uh, you know, looking up and down. Arias, like, had sub 100 isos in the minor league strikeout rates around eight percent maybe he walked a tad more uh than madrigal but he also had more time i mean he's been playing the minor league since 2014 and it is instructive to see that you know the twins didn't rush him up and they didn't necessarily think of him maybe as a big asset in the way that they thought of like rosario and uh these other guys that they've developed or buxton even but they got real value out of him we got two wins out of him last year, and he's projected for another two wins. I don't know. I used to think Madrigal wouldn't do it, um, but maybe uh, having an elite uh, hit tool will be enough to to make it past the the, the power tool. So uh, definitely, I think he's one of the most fascinating players. I'm kind of glad that I don't have a lot of shares. I can just watch it and be like and try to learn from it and see what happens because I definitely am skeptical. He's got such a such an odd floor and ceiling that he's the kind of player that I would panic on quickly if I did have him a lot of places. And like you, I don't have him anywhere yet. I mean, he could be buried in the bottom third of the order initially. That hurts him quite a bit as well. Uh, It is interesting. I think Arias is a good comp. I think of other players, maybe like a David Fletcher type player, Nicky Lopez, Anderson Simmons as a a hitter, of course. Anderson Simmons is kind of like that too. more often, yeah. Simmons probably has more raw power, at least he did earlier in his career, but he doesn't hit the ball very hard at this point. I mean, the floor is uh, super utility backup. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a decent floor. It's just uh, for an early first-round pick, though. not excited about that. Ceiling is probably like 320 uh, in a full season, uh, you know, like 30 steals and five homers. Yeah, Weird. I think so. Uh, I think a, a ton is going to ride on on the stolen bases. You know, if he's running a good bit, then where he's going, he's profitable. If he's not running, he's going to be like a Hanser Alberto type player, where he's just sort yeah. of <laughs> batting Alberto, average and dude. nothing else. That's 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 actually uh, an interesting sort of middle of the road comp because uh, Hanser Alberto played but just did not provide that much fantasy value. It was definitely like just a deep league guy. Yeah. If you picked him up in like AL only, no problem. If you picked him up in mixed, you probably were missing out on something, even though he was playing. Yeah, you probably could have had a better season. player on your team. I mean, he hit 305, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about pitching here for just a minute, and I was spending time over at, at Pitcher List and watching Dylan Cease's arsenal. I, I love their their GIF database that they mm-hmm. have over there, and you know, the GIF database for for guys with good stuff, I think, can make it really easy to just fall oh, in love with a pitcher. Cease but is just that guy, yeah, he really is because I, I came away like really excited. And I looked back at the numbers, obviously struggled with walks at AAA and in the big leagues last year. The home run rate spiked in his debut, which for a rookie in the year of the rabbit ball, I mean, I don't think you can hold that against him forever. But clearly he has the raw stuff to get big league hitters out. I just wonder how quickly it's going to happen. Is this a rapid growth? Like we're talking about him as a top 25 pitcher 
a year from now sort of profile, or is it going to be ups and downs where you're getting those big K performances? He goes out, tears up a lineup, looks really good, and then just is his own worst enemy for a start after that. Like, is he going to be a roller coaster player where you know the highs are really high, but the lows are extremely frustrating, especially in this season here in 2020 man so on august 29th last year he pitched two innings and gave up eight earned runs at home against minnesota there's no way i I was i was um streaming and sort of spot playing and there's no way he would have started in that game i don't think just minnesota at home in chicago next start though you might have started him because he's at cleveland nice nice park he got 11 strikeouts in 6.2 innings with four earned runs. So you're like, okay, that's pretty good. And then he finished with two starts uh, at Detroit and at Seattle, which you definitely would have started him in, with 11 innings of two-run ball with 13 strikeouts against five walks. That's a good finish to the season. And I think it speaks to what you're talking about. But I also think that he has some like really obvious things that he needs to change in terms of uh, the spin uh, on his fastball and the spin efficiency. He cuts the fastball, which robs the fastball spin efficiency and robs it of ride. Um, and if he can stop cutting the fastball um, and, and get that ride back, uh, I think that he could uh, you know, effectively mirror the spin on his fastball and curveball and have uh, a two-pitch threat there that's really good and then be able to uh, throw in the changeup and the slider uh, to keep people uh, on their toes. So like, I, I think he has everything he needs to be a top guy. And that's why I keep touting him. And that's why I'm really into him. I also know that, uh, we're hoping for like a U Darvish outcome, which will have some bad seasons in it. Even once he gets going, uh, because he has command plus like you Darvish, uh, but also like a pretty exciting arsenal like you Darvish. So I, I think, um, a U Darvish type, uh, career is in, in the making for him. It is, is possible for him. It's a pretty nice comp, really, if uh, if that's what we're looking at. I mean, other than one underwhelming season in 2018, Yu Darvish has been excellent. He's pushed up into the top five, top ten range, at least, among starters at his best because of his strikeout potential as well. Uh, as far as roster winners go, as you start looking at this team, like the White Sox are definitely a team on the rise. We like what they've been doing this offseason trades they've made the last couple of years like they're clearly headed in the right direction when you start looking at expanded rosters this is not a team that is helped by expanded rosters no no luis garcia lurie lurie that's it lurie garcia oh man of course it's lurie i'm thinking nationals Luis. uh cuthbert yeah chesler cuthbert that's that's maybe and you know they're i actually uh was gonna um draft danny mendick uh, in AL labor in the reserve rounds because uh, he's expected to be their utility infielder. Um, and that's interesting to me in terms of having lots of um, eligibilities and maybe looking himself into some playing time where he could hit 240 with like 15-15 type stats. Um, it's not super exciting for anybody else. It's very hyper-specific uh, advice there. So I will uh, do a audio dot 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 and let you <laughs> let you take the reins here i don't know adam angle i mean like i guess lurie garcia and danny mendick are the winners Woohoo! 
I mean, I think the White Sox plan is to play their regulars as much as they possibly can and not lean too much to their depth. And uh, I think as far as like the 50 man goes, you obviously would want to put Andrew Vaughn on there because if you do lose Encarnacion or Jose Abreu, you don't have a lot of interesting major league bench guys to fill in those spots. You want to go ahead and give him a shot. And he's good enough that you want to keep him uh, developing. I think he's one of like consensus top three prospect for them. Even um, you know if you don't count Kopech or whatever. But yeah, Kopech's gonna make it, and he's gonna be back in the uh, in the rotation pretty soon. I I would assume that when this is going, running on all cylinders, um, you know if things go the way they want, Gio Gonzalez is their glue guy. Um, or maybe Gio Gonzalez starts the season and Kopech comes up uh, once somebody's hurt, that sort of deal. Um, I don't see a lot of depth behind that. I think Rodone's going to miss the season, right? Oh, he says he could be pitching by June. Yeah, he he might actually might actually give them something. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they make the pieces fit in that rotation because not that they have more options. If Ronaldo Lopez is bad, Ronaldo Lopez, he could be bullpen bound at this point. You know, you add Kopech yes. and Rodon back here's to the a, equation. Here's a weird, a weird, uh, bold prediction. Rodrigo Lopez or Carlos Rodon ends the season as the White Sox closer. Okay. So Ronaldo Lopez, not Rodrigo. Bad. God, bad I had a news real like, my... late 90s problem today. Yeah. Have you been Rodrigo Lopez, no, Dallas Perez? <laughs> yeah. Are you looking at baseball cards this weekend? What? They're not bad. even good. Yeah, I was. They're not even good ones. Was Odalis Perez any good? I remember maybe drafting him a couple times. Maybe one sneaky, surprisingly good season, but um, I don't recall sustained no. success. No, you're right. 2004 for the Dodgers, he did well. I'm going to put that in my back pocket in case we do a 2004 retro draft. That way I <laughs> and 2002. Otherwise, forget Odalis Perez. Uh, yes, Ronaldo Lopez, uh, I just think that he could power through. Uh, like, he... The one thing that's weird is that he his lowest velocity inning is his first inning, so it would require like a kind of a complete uh, reworking of his warm up routine and his just his uh, makeup and, and and just the way that he kind of approaches the game. Uh, but Rodone, I think, could easily come firing bullets out of the bullpen. You know, I liked him quite a bit when he first came into the league. I, I know he was really overworked at NC State, but he was a guy that I thought was going to be at least like a number three starter with lots of Ks with upside to be much more than that, to use the, the word that I've sort of quietly banned from myself over the <laughs> last year or so. Uh, but clearly a team that does not have championship caliber depth just yet, and I think you're going to see higher volumes of playing time on the projected starters with the White Sox than you will most, most places, which could make them a bit more appealing, right? We keep talking about teams that can mix and match and platoon a few more spots with the larger rosters and uh, do some different things. I think they can leverage some pitching things a little bit, but they're not going to find a lot of value hitter-wise as they uh, round that out. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. 
Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you could save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com, enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com, enter the promo code RATES for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com, enter promo code RATES. All right, you know, it gets a little more difficult moving through the bottom two teams in the AL Central. And I think part of this exercise is trying to say nice things about more players. That's <laughs> at least the, it's then I have failed. <laughs> it's not the stated goal, but I think it's sort of where my mind was at. I was like, maybe nice to say some nice things about some players that we haven't said nice things about. Uh, Nicky Lopez, who has been a machine in pretty much all the Sims I've been looking at for the last really? couple of months. Weird, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure you could read a whole lot into that, but um, I, he kind of fits the description of what we were talking about with Nick Madrigal. Yes. Where you have this low K rate, hasn't hit the ball very hard, fields his position well, can steal some bases. The the sleepers for the batting average titles are these guys we're talking about, by the way. <sighs> Arias, so Madrigal, Lopez. Like if, if there's a surprise batting average winner this year, it's one of them with like a 360 batting average. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're probably right, and I just I, I look at Lopez. I think with Madrigal, it's easier to see that the speed is a fantasy carrying tool. I, I think that could be how he exceeds expectations. I think Lopez can run, but he doesn't run quite like Madrigal. It's below average power. Like, who's more likely to be mixed league relevant? Is, is it my right to think it's Madrigal by? Yeah. By a good bit because yeah, of the steals. the steals. Yeah. All right. So there's probably not a whole lot there to unpack with Lopez. I just thought it was weird that he was tearing up the Sims, and uh, but it, I, I was a little bit excited about him last year when he came up. As much as the White Sox have have made it uh, to this point on our better team, uh, they're not going to benefit from these added roster. The Royals are still a worse team, and the players that are going to benefit from the added roster slots are not very good. However, the Royals do uh, up their ability to put lotting, lotter, lottery tickets on the field. And I say this because, you know, Brett Phillips, uh, love the guy, but, you know, he hasn't been able to figure out, you know, how to get the most of his his patience at the plate, his ability to to, 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 to decipher the zone, He's got that down, but he can't hit the ball with any authority. I mean, he had like an 85-mile-an-hour exit velocity last year. It's just not going to work. Uh, but I do know that he went to bat. Uh, he went to work over the offseason uh, in front of, uh, you know, with some of the newer tools uh, at his disposal for hitting. So, um, you know, there's uh, the chance that he uh, figures something out big time, and he has some of the athletic ability. And he now he has a roster spot. It might have been up in the air a little bit, but now he's got some playing time out there as, like, the fourth outfielder. Um, and I think Starling is going to make this roster, and I – think even less of Starling as a hitter uh, than Brett Phillips, but, uh, you know, he's going to get some playing time. And if, if he's figured, I think for Starling, if he's figured out some contact ability, uh, he could be a useful piece. But I doubt that either of them, you know, becomes like a, a real thing, uh, is it ownable, maybe even an AL only would kind of be a long shot. But 
They might be, and now they have more roster spot to play with. They have more rope, basically. I turned over a lot of stones with the Royals and didn't really find anything. Uh, <laughs> That's the what one I'm guy about. that the one guy that they like who I can't I don't see it is Ryan O'Hearn. Like he's lined up to be a big side platoon bat at first base. Could creep up a little higher in the order than he should. Hit seven homers in his last 35 games last season. Got the K rate under 30% during that span. Walked almost 10% of the time. And for the season as a whole, I had a top 50 exit velocity on fly balls and line drives if that does anything for you. But other than that, <laughs> that's about all I've got for Ryan O'Hearn. I, I just didn't see a sleeper or an overlooked player. I mean, Michael Franco, we've talked about in this show before, low K rate. Doesn't hit the ball the way you expect him to. He's at least got the benefit of a lot of playing time as well, and there's not much there to push him. Yeah, um, like I'm trying to look through the uh, top prospects, which I've I've said before that I'm I'm disappointed in this list because they've been bad for long enough that this list should be better, and they keep picking against industry standard, which maybe it'll work, but. It makes me think that Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich are not going to be uh, that great because Daniel Lynch, you know, is a sinker first guy, and we're, you know, we're just seeing fewer and fewer of those in the leagues this year, uh, as every year goes by. I look at like you know Khalil Lee and Kyle Isbell, their top, uh, their top uh, stateside outfield prospects, and neither one of them is really doing anything. Um, with the bat that I find super interesting, Kyle Isbell hit fifty-two percent of his. Uh, contact on the ground last year uh, and Khalil Lee uh, hit 59% of his contact on the ground. Like why are they still developing ground ball hitters? Like what is going on? And I know that Khalil Lee had 53 stolen bases and that's exciting. And maybe they're telling him to hit it on the ground because you know, you're fast hit on the ground, but uh, that really, really uh, lops off his ceiling in terms of real life ceiling in terms of, you know, somebody if we're looking around for somebody to get excited about, I suppose Khalil Lee is the guy. He probably makes the 50-man roster, and if anybody gets hurt or they get fi- tired of uh, Bubba Starling, or maybe even if they're good, if they win some games, uh, they might they might pull up um, Khalil Lee uh, and put him in the in the in the majors just to improve um, some spot, maybe uh, make Dozier uh, the first baseman, or you know because O'Hearn doesn't wor- work out. Uh, or maybe one of those guys is hurt, or Phillips and Starling are just uh, not uh, not making strides. Um, so I think that's that's a possible one there. But there would be a speed play, and it's not sure that Khalil Lee is going to be an improvement on anybody in the major leagues. No, no guarantees at this point in his development, especially on the pitching side. Also difficult to find things to be encouraged by. I, I got to give credit to. Uh, James Anderson and, and Clay Link, they were digging into this bullpen a few weeks back, and they found uh, Glenn Sparkman with increased velocity this spring. He was 96-97 this spring. Hmm. D- I didn't like him at all as a starter, but you get a guy who's throwing 96-97 out of the pen, okay, that's kind of interesting, especially if uh, the Royals are not contending, and if Ian Kennedy you know, were to get traded elsewhere, then we'd have the who closes in Kansas City question. And Sparkman's a guy that previously I would have just said no chance, but now with that velo, I think it's at least a possibility. Yeah, the other one that was throwing well in spring was Trevor Rosenthal. 
Um, blast from the past hasn't been good since 2017. Only pitched 15 innings in 2018 and 2019 combined. Injury stuff. But last note here says Rosenthal separated himself as one of the team's best relievers in camp. Alec Lewis from The Athletic reports. So, um, you know, he's done it before and I could see him doing it again. So those are your two names there. In terms of uh, glue guys, um, I suppose that, like, maybe that's the role that Jorge Lopez... I had to say something. I had to say Jorge Lopez's name I once. knew it was coming. It had, it had to happen. <laughs> maybe that's the role that Jorge Lopez can, can find. Or uh, I will just restate my uh, past uh, prediction that Jorge Lopez becomes a closer someday. He could be the uh, the guy that I hope Glenn Sparkman becomes. I mean, that's that's possible, and it wouldn't wouldn't make me sad to see Jorge Lopez uh, prove you right on that level. That'd be cool. Uh, so it says, yeah, I, it says here that Jesse Hahn may have been on the outside looking in on a twenty six man roster. Maybe he makes a thirty man roster, but uh, if we're talking about keeping healthy, he's got four point two innings. Oh, I had the minor league tab off. <laughs> Oh, this is going to change everything. He's got 7.1 innings. <laughs> I, I, I did like Jesse Hahn once upon a time. I just Yeah, he's had a very difficult time staying healthy. Oh, he had five innings in 2018. Oh, man. It's, dude, he is the nicest guy. He's a really, really nice guy. I feel really bad for him. Uh, but, you know, he already had one Tommy John uh in high school i think and then the rays got him and i think he had a second tommy john in the major leagues and then i don't know i think that 2019 might have been his third 2018 it's a situation when guys come back from that even once i think we we don't realize how difficult that is to come back from it twice and and to even get back to the big leagues just says a lot about anybody's dedication to the craft and uh, it'd be a nice story to see Jesse Hahn find his way onto the field and, and into some innings for the Royals got, at some point. He got drafted in 2010, dude. Man. Ten years later, he has 290 innings in the majors. It's a grind. <sighs> that is a grind. It's a, it's a lot of rehab. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, there's an athletics piece in there, but... We should probably move on because the Royals are just depressing the crap out of me right now. Yeah, let's go to the Tigers. Uh, <laughs> That'll fix everything. <laughs> these teams were ordered this way for a reason. If, if it felt like the episode was top-heavy with the more interesting teams, you have figured out our method. Um, all right, here's what I got on the Tigers. I want to fly through it because I don't think these players are actually that interesting. Uh, Jacoby Jones was doing some things better than yeah. usual last year. And I had not previously noticed or acknowledged it. He was walking more than ever. His hard hit rate jumped up over 10 percentage points last year. Uh, the XBA points to a better batting average than what he actually hit, more like a 250-type hitter. Playing time is king, and they don't have, they don't seem to have any urgency to play Daz Cameron in 2020. So Jacoby Jones might just play a lot more than people expect, and he might quietly give you a, a nice little bump of power and speed. More of a deep league mixed guy, but not someone to be ignored. And I think I had him more in the ignore folder uh, before. Well, the, you know, the plate discipline is rough. The, the, the hit tool is a bit of an issue. 
Uh, the strikeout rate's really high. So, like, he is going to be the kind of guy that if you want to play him, you have to either be punting batting average or be strong in batting average otherwise because he may put up a 220. Uh, one of the projections is for a 220. But in a, in a short season, he could, he could get the good side of the luck coin, hit 240, 245, you know, as many homers as steals and, and definitely be useful. Uh, which is more than I can say for a lot of this uh, roster. The other uh, name that sticks out to me uh, that I've owned in some deep leagues and uh, actually traded Joey Votto for, (laughs) Uh, that league is a 12-team league uh, where Joey Votto had almost no um, uh, uh, trade value. Um, It's Kristen Stewart. They have to play him, right? How could they not? Yeah, I think it's like one of those guys who's just not that good. He's on a bad team, and they end up having to play him. And uh, in a full season, he would have hit 240 with 20 homers. Yeah, I, I, I think that's he could be a tepid. solid run producer. Yeah. It's about a tepid uh, uh, a uh, recommendation as I can give for someone. Uh, Victor Reyes is fast. Cameron Maben started doing some interesting things last year. But could you spend time with the Yankees? You might, you know, you might be coached a little bit among. There's other teams that do that too. But uh, he was you know, hitting the ball in the air with authority more often. Still runs very well, 87th percentile sprint speed. He's always had the ability to draw walks. Like patience is definitely something Cameron Maben has always had. I think I, I certainly don't want two um, uh, of Jacoby Jones and Cameron Maben on my rosters. But again, in deep leagues, one of those guys might lead off. I'd probably actually lean more towards Maben as the more useful fantasy play of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but predicted to be league average, also predict uh, projected to have a good OBP, uh, which means more at-bats at the top of the lineup um, and more likelihood of playing every day. Also, you know, Maben, like, you know, dedicated himself to, to hitting the ball harder recently and uh, and decided that it was okay for him to lift the ball. Uh, oh, my God, with the Yankees. Who would have thought? Um, Stunner, so right? so there, I think he's actually um, the most exciting non-Jacoby Jones uh, character in that outfield. Um, and uh, I guess Victor Reyes is a true uh, fourth outfielder type. Um, and then the 50 man roster type that we, uh, could root a little bit for is Travis Demerit, uh, or Demerit. Demerit would be a kind of a rough last name. Yeah. He was hitting ninth in the spring game we went to, and there were guys that are nowhere near that roster who are hitting ahead of him. And I, I know batting orders, even in the regular season, don't usually tell us it a lot about a player, about what but they think about him. Yeah, like because in the spring you're trying to get guys reps before you take them out of the game potentially, right? It's like, yeah, hey, they did not ninth, care. About they just reps. don't care. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I thought that was a bit odd. I mean, I'm talking like just really bizarre players hitting in front of them, guys that were like double A non prospects. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, but they should let him play. Like why popped, not? Popped for steroids once. Um, Here, here's the here's the other Tigers question before we wrap it up and we'll, we'll have the pitching real quick too. You know, CJ Crone hit the ball really hard a lot last year. Two good teams now have moved on from him 
in consecutive winners. Here he is in Detroit. It's going to be in the heart of the order. Playing time is not going to be a problem. Why are smart teams just letting him go year over year? Like what? What's what are we missing here? Yeah, let me see. It's weird that he's a righty, I guess. Um, but, but I guess last year he was uh, below league average as a righty. But for his career, uh, right on right, he's 5% better than league average. I guess that's not a super exciting number. Um, so I guess maybe teams feel like he's uh, one bad season from being the wrong side platoon first baseman type, you know? And that's pretty expensive, I guess, year over year with arbitration you know things yeah, like that. Yeah, he's hit enough home runs to be to to be worth something. Uh, to be you know six point one million dollars salary this year. Uh, I can't speak. The Rays are kind of like really cutthroat at this. So like, you know that they didn't stick around for a six million dollars salary. Uh, d- you know, doesn't surprise me too much. But the Twins making the same decision makes me think that it's something about his handedness. And I just whopped the mic with my elbow. <laughs> old-timey radio hey anyway i think that crone is a deep league play i think that if you're if you got him as your mixed league first baseman you should have another first baseman on your bench yeah it might be more of just to play the schedules and you know like this year the schedules might be pretty homogenous where it's just six or seven games every week for everybody in that case then you're left to choose matchups and he might be an on the roster off the roster sort of guy despite the a strong stat cast numbers. And this is, uh, this is, yeah, the stat cast numbers are great, and I should be all over this guy, but you're right that the, the two teams making this decision mean something. Um, and it's a, also, he's a weird fit uh, for this Tigers team because it's not like he's going to be, he's going to be a free agent in 2021. So it's not like they're getting, they're like, it's not like they found a guy on the market that could turn into uh, a player for them long-term. You know, it's like they just got to, you know, if somebody else steps forward, and I don't know who it is, but if somebody, uh, if there's a roster crunch and they want to play somebody at first, like Candelario and Lugo are good. Oh, my God, what am I even saying? What this if, like, Candelario... horrific and, depth chart. Yeah, it's really horrific. What if Candelario uh, and Will, uh, and Willie Castro and Nico Gurdrum are okay? And Crone's not that, that great. That wouldn't be the strangest. Yeah, it would be the strangest thing ever. Then uh, maybe Candelario plays first. Crone falls into like a platoon DH situation for the rest of the season. They're just not going to be involved in his future unless he whoops the ball and they want to resign him. And even then, would they resign him for like what would they like? He probably wants like two and ten at least. I don't know. It seems like a weird deal for the Tigers. I don't think he's going to be there after this season. Um, pitching side is where things are a bit more interesting. You know, They have to answer that question. What do you do in a shortened season? Do you want to keep Scooble and Mize and uh, Manning? Do you want to keep those guys on the taxi squad? Do you want to get them some innings in the big leagues this year? Just How do you keep those guys on track for what I would assume to be a competitive window that really begins in 2022 but how do you deal with that? I mean, they have innings available. They don't have to throw Zimmerman and Nova out there. They could just use the young guys however they want and then let Zimmerman and Nova sort of like backfill around them since they're already committed to paying those guys. And yet, do you want to start the clock? You know, I actually think that it's a little bit like uh, the Braves with their bunch of pitchers. You don't know which ones are going to pop. 
And so there has to be a learning process from an organizational standpoint, too, about who do you want to keep around and who do you want to trade away and who's going to be the, you know, who's going to be in the rotation. You have to kind of figure that out. Even if you think you have an embarrassment of riches, you can't just sort of hoard them in the minor leagues, uh, you know, waiting for hitting to turn up because you're actually going to need to trade some of those guys for hitting because none of there's no hitting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's there's just not enough. Um, I mean, like Isaac Paredes is a guy that probably with expanded rosters on the hitting side hangs around, right? You could see him maybe being a part of the plan. I mentioned Cameron before. He's probably a taxi squad guy, not a 30-band guy from the jump. Uh, Franklin Perez, kind of a forgotten prospect in all of this. Maybe he's a guy that gets a look. I think they have a, enough interesting young pitchers. They should, at the very least, make them multi-inning relievers. They don't see them as long-term starters and just kind of test guys out that way. Yeah, and then the problem, though, is if you do that, that they may not use all their pitches. But um, you know what, though? They'll still be pitching in the bullpens with major league pitching coaches. They'll still be shaping their pitches uh, with major league pitching coaches. I've heard from Matt Boyd that uh, their major league squad is good. Um, so I think that, uh, you put Scooball, Manning and, and Mize on that 50 man roster, get them pitching with their, uh, major league pitching coach. And, um, as it looks, you kind of, uh, you kind of start working them in there. You kind of put, uh, uh, Jordan Zimmerman into a glue role. Like you said, him and Nova are glue guys. They, after your pitcher goes four and you're still in the game, Zimmerman, uh, third time through the order last year, had a 13.5 ERA. Yeah, maybe don't let him go through the order a third time. And just <laughs> give those innings to somebody who's a bigger part of the future, and that yeah. might be the, the best for everybody. My guy is Scooble. I know that uh, you know Mize and Manning have more people like them, and probably uh, for good reason. Maybe they should be liked more, but like uh, at price in terms of acquiring these guys, uh, Scooble is the one that I like at price. I think uh, people want too much for Manning and Wise if you're trying to trade for them. Yeah, I, I think why you're trying to trade for pitching anyway. The pedigree of both of those guys, uh, Manning and Mize, ah, Dan Straley, is a big part of that. I'm a TV screen. <laughs> Got the KVO uh, replays right. on right now. Uh, don't forget about Michael Fulmer completely. He'll be 15 months removed from Tommy John surgery in June. Probably worth a mention because he was not on my radar back in the spring, but. Maybe there's a little bit of a case for it now. And as always, he'll be the first guy to take Jordan Zimmerman's job. (laughs) Yep, he will be. Uh, What were you saying? We do love love Spencer Turnbull on this podcast. Yes, we love him. Confirmed. And have have a a little bit of love for Daniel Norris, too. I still think at the very least he could be a good reliever, which is not just as simple as flipping the switch. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think his, his breaking pitches could be good enough. Add a little velo to the fastball. Yeah, change up the mix, mix a little bit. It, it it makes sense. If and you don't have to go to that fastball as often as he does the stuff. Right, and with command being an issue, that becomes less of an issue in shorter stints. And maybe he can stop throwing the, the pitches he can't control. That sort of deal. Exactly. All right. So if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review this podcast, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. It's probably the longest episode we've done since, I don't know, last year. Um, If you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, you can get a free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you can support the site with a paid subscription, get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. As always, you can email us rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Be sure to spell out the word and if you do that on Twitter, he's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday.
Thanks for listening.